Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This is Mary Murphy. Lock your doors. Sit tight. Because this is the Wicked Library. Warning. The Wicked Library is a horror fiction podcast created for a mature audience. Our stories contain graphic descriptions of pain, murder, violence, blood, betrayal, and inhumanity. Monsters win, people die, and hope is often shattered. There is also beauty, heart, catharsis, and raw emotion. What triggers fear may be deeply personal, but we all share it. If at any time a story takes you to a place too dark, turn on the lights, press pause, or press stop. And always remember that unlike in the real world, these nightmares and your participation are under your control. Hello, and welcome to the darkness in between, our interseasonal entertainment as we work on season 11. I'm Daniel Foytek, and I thank you for listening. There is only one more episode left before we take off into season 11, which will be coming in October. As I've mentioned before, our theme for season 11 is sci-fi, so it's going to be a season of sci-fi horror, and we have some great authors lined up, some that you know, some that are new, but we've definitely got a great season planned for you. Some really great stories. I know you're going to love it. A big thank you to those who took the time to rate the show five stars and write a short review for us on iTunes. You know who you are. Your reviews do help others find the show, and of course, we love hearing from you. A sincere thank you to those of you who are supporting the show. We've had some new supporters sign up since our last episode, and we deeply thank you. Without you, this show would not be possible. Our authors and everyone else involved in making the show, thank you for your support of this show and of independent horror fiction. If you're not yet supporting the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. For as little as $3 a month, you can help make the show you love possible and get fun rewards. A lot of hard work and money goes into making the Wicked Library, and we really do rely on this support to help us pay the authors, voice actors, composer, and artists. In addition to knowing you're a part of making this show possible, you also get rewards like ad-free episodes at higher bit rates, access to bonus stories, and at higher levels of support even more. You can support us at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. Lastly, if you don't know already, we post a weekly book review and recommendation column to thewickedlibrary.com. The column is called Fully Booked with Brianna Morgan, and in line with our mission, you'll find reviews with a strong focus on indie and small press horror fiction. There are now eight reviews to check out as of this episode. Head to thewickedlibrary.com forward slash booked to check them out and watch our Twitter feed at Wicked Library notices when new reviews post each week. Speaking of Brianna, she's also the author of several books, including The Trick or Treater and Other Stories, Unboxed, Blood and Water, and more. And all of her titles are now available on Kindle Unlimited. Head over to Amazon today to enjoy more of her work. Now, today's dark tale, Help Wanted, by Michael McCord, is told by me.
Help Wanted by Michael McCord. Right from the start, I knew there was something indiscernibly wrong about Mr. Jet. It wasn't his watery, ice-blue eyes that danced in the overhead bank of lights like melting dew on a frosty morning, swimming with decades of wisdom that lived behind them. How many lifetimes had they witnessed? It wasn't the loose folds of skin upholstered over his high cheekbones, which was almost certainly as tough as seamed leather underneath. A clover-shaped patch of melanoma on his face just touching the flare of his nostril was a footnote of a life spent in the sun. It wasn't even the fact that he kept his cap on, Vietnam veteran, once he was inside. In fact, I didn't think anything of it until later in the interview when he took it off. I thought maybe I was the victim of my own imagination, playing up on me out of sheer boredom. Head of security at a pipe-fitting company is every bit as dull as you might picture it being. But I didn't think so. The knock came precisely five minutes before his appointed interview, and when I opened the door of the site trailer that serves as our security office, I was reminded at once why equal opportunity groups got it to where age is no longer included on applications. Good morning. You must be Mr. Jet, I said. I offered my hand, and he took it once into his arthritic iron grip. Shaking his hand was like sticking my hand in a vice between a knuckle full of grade-A steel frame nuts. My grandpa had the same hands, as powerful as they were swollen. Harley Jet, he said. Is it still morning? Well, technically, yes, it's not noon yet, I said. Oh, okay. I don't sleep so well anymore, so mornings tend to stretch on for me. I invited him in, and he walked inside. Well, shuffled was more like it. I'm sorry to hear that, I said. Sometimes I wake up at awful hours, 3, 3.30, and I can't go back to sleep. Don't be, he said, taking baby steps. I'd rather spend the last of my time awake instead of sleeping it away. You miss too much otherwise. I told him to have a seat in front of my desk, more out of precaution than formality. I didn't want him to fall and break something. Mr. Jet reached behind him and steadied himself on either armrest, then started the painful process of lowering himself into the chair. His elbows, or knees, I couldn't be sure which, maybe both, popped like a chain of distant fireworks on a dry 4th of July night. I could smell him quite clearly. The smell of his aftershave filled the whole office with heavy lilac perfume. It was the type of fragrance I'd always thought of as old man number five. His joints trembled with the effort of easing down into a sitting position. He must have taken great care in the mornings not to cut himself, shaving around the deep wrinkled slabs that hung from his fleshy jowls. He finally settled into his chair. The ordeal seemed to have exhausted him. I gave him a moment to compose himself before continuing. I'm Doyle Freeman, head of security here at Vulcan Galvanized. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Freeman. Mr. Harley Jett appeared to be chewing gum or using his tongue to pick at something stuck in his teeth. But after a minute, I realized he was sucking on his dentures that had become dislodged. First off, uh... How did you hear about the opening? Oh, that. Mr. Jet furrowed his brow as if trying to fit what was passing through his mind into the proper words. I saw it in the, um, 
the classifieds magazine. You know, the Northeast Alabama Swapper, or whatever they call it. Yes, sir. I know the one. I didn't know they put an ad out in there. Most of the time, they just advertise on the internet. Well, glad they did. I hold a whole lot of stock with trusty old paper and ink. And they still work when the power goes out. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right there. Now, the job you'll be doing is the night watchman position. You'd get here between 7 to 8 after we close up and stay until 2 to 5, three or four nights a week. I'd give you a schedule the first of each week. We like to mix up the night watchman's hours slightly so no one will know exactly when he's here. That's worked for us so far, and we don't have much trouble out this way. Is that something you'd be able to swing? Yes, I would, he said. If we had been anywhere but Summer Hill, I wouldn't have bothered going into it with him. Why in the world he was applying for a graveyard shift position, or any job at all, was beyond me. I'd always heard that guys who live longest after retirement are the ones who keep busy, but that was at least 25 years behind him. It had to be. There was a wheezing noise that came from the thin wall of his chest each time he inhaled that I didn't like. As it is, nothing much happens in places like Summer Hill. If you want excitement, you need to go a bit further north, up into Tennessee, up in whiskey country. There wasn't a chance in a thousand that he'd have to take a shot at some night prowler or, God forbid, take off running after somebody. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I said. I'm afraid I might come in one morning and find you laid out dead in the gravel from where you fell. (laughs) Oh, me. (laughs) Harley Jet wiped his eyes. (laughs) Mr. Freeman, I know I'm old, and I'll level with you. I'm 88 years old, and I don't feel a day over 70. I wouldn't blame you if you had turned me down because of that. I'm here because it's something to do. I'm retired Navy. And I could give you excellent references, only they've all since died, so you'd have to look up my service record. I'm an MP man myself, I told him. Six years stationed in Fort Leonard Wood, in Fort Lewis. I got out after my stint was up. Always been a bit of a home buddy. I can understand that, Jet said. Since I'm here, seeing as how you got superb air conditioning in this place, maybe you'll humor an old man and at least hear me out. Hell, I might even convince you to hire me on. I leaned back in my swivel chair and crossed my hands over my belly. According to the mini-desk clock looking up at me over a stack of papers that I really didn't want to dive into, it was a half an hour until lunch. He also had a point about the air conditioning. It was murderously hot outside. Looking back now, I should have just, well, hindsight's twenty-twenty. You have the floor, I said. Ah, I thought you might say that, he said. Something in his manner, the predatory twinkle in his eyes, maybe, suggested that it was more than just a thought. It was a certainty. The secret to long life, he orated, is people. All those old misers that shut themselves up in their mansions, they wither away and turn to dust. Poof. He pinched the fingers on his right hand together in front of his mouth, then blew them outward, miming a gesture like a French chef might use when describing fine ingredients. And when they finally do croak, they've forgotten before they're cold in the ground because they stopped living long before their time. 
Me? I've always stayed busy. Doing something. That's what life on a destroyer will do for your work ethic. A destroyer? What ship were you stationed on? The USS Harbinger. The scourge of the Western Theater, he stated matter-of-factly. World War II? That's right. Put down 27 German U-boats. Wow, so you saw action. Yep, we all did. It ain't like modern wars where most of the fighting is done behind the computer screen. Back then, we had to get down in the nitty-gritty. War was a personal matter then. I think it's better that way. Keeps a man humble. Keeps him up at night, too. He went on talking while I did the quick math in my head. I couldn't help it. I'm not a numbers cruncher or anything, but there weren't many guys left from the big one. If he enlisted when he was 17, in the last year of the war, I would put him no younger than 92. Had he deliberately lied about his age? It was plausible enough. Not many people would be quick to hire a man as old as he was. Then again, not many would be quick to hire an 88-year-old man who didn't feel a day over 70 either. Tell you something else, too. I was there for the invasion at Normandy. We laid down suppressive fire, and I'll tell you, we saw firsthand some of them boys that got chewed up and spat out. There never was a day that I was more thankful to have signed up with the Navy. There were plenty of hairy days out there in the middle of the Atlantic with the cold north wind in our faces that the prospect of a watery death on a hunk of sinking scrap metal wasn't just a possibility. It was a probability. There isn't quite so lonesome a death as drowning when you know there's not going to be anyone coming to save you. You're out there with your mates, treading water over 10,000 foot deep. But you're your own island, until your muscles get so weak you can't go on and sink into blue oblivion, your aching lungs filling with salt water when you try to suck in one last breath. Any sailor that's faced it will tell you that. But D-Day, that was bad. Worse than Morocco. Maybe I needed to brush up on my history. That would make him 95. His eyes were clear. I wondered how I'd ever connected his advanced age with weariness. Harley Jet was alive and well, with no flight booked in the near future for the eternal hereafter. Retelling those old desperate battles where men's lives hinged on chance and guts seemed to charge him with a metastatic energy. The wrinkles around the edges of his mouth and eyes smoothed out. I didn't know when this had happened, but I was certain that the deep fissures that had lined his face when he first came in were now shallow furrows in a freshly plowed field. But by then I'd done my chore in Nam, and they told me to get. Forty years was enough. I was showing my age then, and I knew I had to make some changes. My mind was too tied up to do any more figuring. Cognitive thought was a faraway dream. Everything I tried to come up with felt like I was grasping at straws. There was an ice burst in my stomach that left me feeling hollowed out and shaky, reminding me that the lunch hour was approaching. Mr. Jett was going to have to wrap things up here. There's a decent deli at the Sitgo on the square. One of the last ones around, I reckon. And I made up my mind to go there. Ham and cheese wasn't going to do it today. I went back to something my pawpaw told me back when I was around 30. I noticed he didn't say what year that was. 
When I started noticing him, I mean, really noticing him, I asked him about it. Not expecting much more than some jumbled up five miles to school, uphill both ways answer, but he told me. It was a family secret, a trait more or less. Some might go so far as to call it a gift. Although, he gave me enough family history of past foolhardy jets for me to think of it as such. To even consider such things that he told me is sacrilege. But I found myself enthralled with all of it, and believing. That's where the power lies. All of us with the gene have it, but unless we believe it enough to use it, it lies dormant. It coincided with everything I remembered growing up. How lean he was through the roaring twenties. He was a wiry old man, but I'd seen him throw a double bale of cotton over his shoulder that two strong men struggled with, one on each end. Even when the depression hit, an empty mouth sapped the country dry, his stamina never wavered. That was when my father caught up to him and soon passed him. He didn't use it, you see. You might not believe this, Freeman, but when I retired from the Navy, my papa still had ten years left to him. He was one of the smart ones, you see. There was only one instance where he had to go back a second time to one source. The jackass. All the others knew to keep their mouths shut, because we can do that, go back as many times as necessary, and draw as much or as little as we please. I see, I said. Anything else seemed like too much effort, as if my brain was trying to do wind sprints in a pool. I know you do. I have another gift as well. It's impossible to be disingenuous with me, without my knowing so. For instance, I know that you're only entertaining me. You have no intention of hiring me. You're only trying to pass the time until you can break our little meeting up in favor of your allotted lunch hour. I nodded. He was good. It was funny how the longer I was with him, the more I picked up about him, or saw that I had missed. His nose came down to a point, curving inward like a hawk's, and was unblemished. I could count the pores in the surrounding flesh they were so clear. Wouldn't you be surprised to learn that it has long passed? I blinked. Suddenly, my vision was milky. I pinched the bridge of my nose to try to clear things up, but everything up close was soft and ill-defined. The hands on the slow-moving desk clock were stumpy pig legs disincorporated in the mud. This must be what it's like to have cataracts, I thought. No wonder the lines of his face kept evolving. I opened my mouth to say something to the effect of, what time is it? But I found I couldn't utter a single syllable. I hadn't lost the ability to talk. It was there, ready to be used. I was just so tired, I couldn't. As I sat there, looking across at him, I felt his pale eyes boring into me. I had a sudden image of a man, a slim, sharp-toothed man sucking on a bottle of Coke through a straw, the fluid level seen through the greenish glass. This man still buys his Cokes in the glass bottles. It makes the flavor, oh, so sweeter, going down incrementally, sip by sip by sip, sucking it almost dry until there's about an inch left at the bottom the flat backwash swill that's undesirable and no longer cold. <laughs> Boy, is it hot in here, he exclaimed, sweeping off his cap and running the back of his hand across his forehead. 
He took his fingers and raked back a thick mop of graying jet-black hair. A healthy head of hair for a distinguished gentleman, getting up into his fifties. Interviews always get me heated up. That's and pussy. <laughs> his toothy grin was that of a gluttoned wolf's. Fat and lazy. He sprang to his feet with blinding litheness and was on me before I could react. My throat nodded and that smell was back more powerful than ever. Old man number five, choking me. I could taste its false spring burn the taste buds in the back of my mouth. I raised my hands in front of my face and let out a weak cry that was embarrassingly shrill compared to what it sounded like in my own head. The tips of my fingers trembled like a man's with palsy. It wasn't just the terror, either. I was tremendously winded, my breath coming in haggard gasps. I waited there, helplessly, for what I didn't know. A sudden blow, the strike of red death. When nothing came, and I got up the nerve to look through my splayed fingers, I saw he was extending his hand to me in a genial manner. Insidious humor played at the corners of his lips, his eyes shining like arctic lamps. I slowly reached out with my own and took his hand. And when I did, I was horrified at what I saw, or thought I saw. I really must be going, Doyle Freeman. It's been a pleasure. I have other interviews, you know. I'm very much in demand. Daytime posts, too. If I need to get back in touch with you, I won't hesitate. But I don't think it'll come to that. Do you? I shook my head and swallowed. I didn't dare try to speak. My tongue was dry leather. My throat sandpaper. I don't much care for a night shift anyway. I find it demeaning. With that, he ambled out the door, his hips jaunting back and forth with an aristocratic zeal. It took me a while to get my breath back. And when I did, I rose out of my chair. It was a painful process, the whole time my knees and hips protesting loudly. There was a scary moment when the chair swiveled and almost dumped me onto the floor. If that would have happened, I likely would have been down there until someone came along and found me, but I caught myself on the edge of the desk and finished from there. I was still famished. I needed to piss like a mother. If I didn't get to the pot in a minute, it would be running down my leg. The light switch of the bathroom is right next to the sink, above which is a plain square mirror, five ninety nine retail. The slanted black frame of the door darkened its silver surface when I came in. I turned toward it, fumbled for the light, found it, and flicked it on. Hot liquid splayed down my pants and puddled in my socks. It's feeling strangely comforting. Looking back at me was someone I hadn't seen in twenty years. By then, cancer had eaten him up, and he was reduced to a drooling vegetable. It would have been a blessing if he lost cohesion at the end, but he never did. He couldn't express it to any of us, except through his gaze that conveyed a plea for mercy. But he knew what it was doing to him, as he lay motionless in that hospital bed. All but a few strands of his hair had fallen out. Those that remained stood out at crazy angles, like a suburb of Ariel's. His hands were liver-spotted and swollen in a permanent claw posture. 
if one of the nurses forgot to come in and turn him on their shift, he would develop nasty bed sores that would break open and leak through his hospital johnny. There, in the full light of the mirror, I looked upon the ghostly visage of my grandfather. Today's author was Michael McCord, with his story, Help Wanted, told by me. To find out more about today's author, please visit thewickedlibrary.com and check out his bio page. Our lead editor and executive producer is Scarlett R. Algie. Our resident composer and executive producer is Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. Artwork for today's episode was created by Jeanette Andromeda, our creative director and executive producer. Our showrunner and producer is Daniel Foytek. That's me. The Wicked Library is created by Ninth Story Studios. All rights reserved. <laughs>